0: The prolific and atypical serial killer that terrorized the LGBT plus community of Toronto from 2010 to 2017. This is the story of Bruce MacArthur. Hello everyone and welcome to Dark Crime Diaries, your true crime podcast. A quick disclaimer before we proceed, this episode discusses themes of murder and dismemberment that listeners may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Bruce MacArthur was a self-employed landscaper but occasionally moonlit as Santa at a shopping mall during the holiday season. He is described as grandfatherly with twinkle eyes. Born in rural Ontario in 1951, he graduated from Fenelon Falls Secondary School, married his high school sweetheart and became a salesman first at Stanfield's and then at McGregor Socks, both Canadian garment manufacturers. The couple had a son and a daughter who are now grown. At 5 feet 10 and 221 pounds, he was unassuming in both appearance and demeanor, the type to bake cookies, muffins, sip wine, and lavish friends with roses on their birthdays. He was mostly described by his friends as the kindest person they'd ever known. Besides being described as friendly, he was also popular with his clients, many of whom were older, wealthy Torontonians. In his late 40s, he came out as gay and moved to the gay village in Toronto. He also had his first gay relationship at the time. However, he goes on to see a psychiatrist to deal with the dissolving of his marriage and also having to deal with his first gay relationship. At the time of his marriage dissolving, he declared bankruptcy. In 1999, he met Skandaraj Navaratnam. MacArthur had employed Navaratnam as a landscaper, and in the early 2000s, it's reported that the two had been in a relationship at some point during this time. Despite his unassuming demeanor, on October 21, 2001, MacArthur assaults a man with a metal pipe in the man's home. MacArthur did turn himself into the police, and throughout the case, MacArthur maintains that he blacked out before the assault and doesn't know why he did it. On January 29, 2003, he pled guilty to one count of assault causing bodily harm and assault with a weapon. In March of the same year, Dr. Marie France Dion, at the request of his lawyer, wrote a report that found no signs of mental health problems that could have contributed to the incident. In April 2003, he was given a conditional sentence by the Crown in the assault case leveled against him. The Crown transcripts show that the Crown thinks it wouldn't be in society's interest or Mr. MacArthur's interest to have him go into jail at this point in time. Now, instead of jail, he served a two-years, lesser-day sentence in the community. However, there were restrictions ranging from being banned from visiting the gay village, to being in the company of male prostitutes. In addition to that, he also had a 10 year weapons prohibition. He was also ordered to attend counseling for anger management and provide DNA samples. At the hearing, the judge in his parting remarks said, it sounds to me like you are a pretty good person and it sounds to me like you are not going to be back here again. In the autumn of
1: 2010, strange things began to happen in the gay village. Men begin to go missing, the first of which was 40-year-old Skandaraj Navaratnam. According to reports, report, he was last seen on September 6, 2010, leaving Zipper's nightclub near Church and Carlton Street with two men around 2 a.m. On September 16, a friend reported him missing. On December 29, 2010, 44 year old Abdul Brasil Faisi calls his wife and tells her he's at work with colleagues and will be home later that night. His last known location is Steamworks, a bathhouse in Toronto's gay village. The next day, December 30, 2010, Faisi's cousin reports him missing to Peel Regional Police. Now, on January 4, 2011, Police discovered Fizey's 2002 Neeson Centre abandoned on Moore Avenue in the area of St. Clair Avenue East and Mount Pleasant Road. This was a short distance from the home where MacArthur stored his tools and planters. The home was owned by Karen Fraser and Ron Smith. He worked as a landscaper at the property for 10 years and stored his equipments in the garage in exchange. They were away for the holiday season at the time. At the time, MacArthur was also housed sitting one kilometers away from where Faiz's car was discovered. When the couple returned to their home, they found a dark stain on the floor of their bedroom. MacArthur told them that he spilled some Coca-Cola and tried to kill, clean it. On October 18, 2012, 58-year-old Majid Kahan was last seen by a friend in the area of Alexander and Young Streets. His son reported him missing on October 25th. At this time, residents of the Gay Village were increasingly unsettled and made repeated calls to the police to investigate the suspected disappearances. Interestingly enough, Interpol contacted Toronto Police at this time informing them of an internet user with a cannibal fetish who visited a cannibal fetish that confessed to eating men in the Toronto area. As incredulous as that sounded, it prompted a lightbulb moment for veteran detective, Sergeant Hank Isdinger, to actually look into the claims because according to him, he thought, actually, we do have a missing man from Toronto that fits the profile this person is talking about. This prompted the Toronto Police Service to create a task force project Houston in November 2012, a month after Cahan's disappearance to investigate the disappearance of the three men, Navaratnam, Faisi, and Cahan. In December 2012, police had a suspect that was not Bruce MacArthur. This suspect was found to not be connected to the disappearance of Navaratnam. However, the person in question pled guilty to child pornography charges in 2014. In November 2013, as part of the ongoing investigation, police interviewed Navaratnam's friends. According to multiple reports, this included a then 60-year-old landscape designer, Bruce McArthur. From, an al- from analysis of Navaratnam and Faizé's belongings, police found that both men knew McArthur. During the interview, he told the police he knew Navaratnam from a group he socialized with at Toronto's bar called the Black Eagle. He did, however, deny having sexual relationship with Navaratnam. He also admitted to knowing Kahan since 2003, and told police that Kahan had worked for him during landscaping work for a month and that the two did have a sexual relationship. However, he said he broke it off. At this time, police regarded MacArthur as a witness and not a suspect. In that same month, November that is, MacArthur buys the maroon-colored 2004 Dodge Caravan. Unfortunately, in 2014, Project Houston was shot down, resulting from a lack of criminal evidence surrounding the three men's disappearance. But Bruce was not done yet. It was on August 15, 2015, that another man, 50-year-old Surush Mahmoodi, went missing. He was last seen asleep in his apartment on Markham Road in Scarborough around noon and was scheduled to work later that day but never showed up. His wife reported him missing on August 22nd. In the same month of August, 37-year-old Krishna Kumar last spoke to his family in Sri Lanka on the phone. Unfortunately, his family did not report him missing because they thought he was hiding after the Canadian government rejected his refugee application. On April 22, 2016, 47-year-old Dean Liesewick, who was a regular user of Toronto's shelter system, was last seen when he was discharged from the extreme weather program at the Scott Mission
0: on Spadina Avenue. He was never reported missing. In June 2016, the veneer that Bruce had managed to create once again slipped. On June 20th, MacArthur asked a man he had known for years to meet him in his van in a parking lot. When the man got into the back of the van, MacArthur asked him to lie down and then MacArthur tried to strangle him. Luckily, the victim was able to escape and promptly called 911, gave his statement to the police. MacArthur did go to the station of his own accord, was arrested, and also gave a statement. Weirdly enough, an officer released him without charges. The police did conduct a criminal record check on him, but nothing came of that because at the time, the assault conviction against him had been expunged. It's 2017 now, and by this time, the residents of the church in Wellesley area knew without a shadow of a doubt that there was the possibility of a serial killer in the community. Now while researching, I found a Vanity Fair article on the Bruce MacArthur case. In this article, Sasha Reed, a 29-year-old University of Toronto psychology researcher and PhD candidate who studies the inner workings of serial killers, actually put together a profile of Bruce MacArthur, of the hypothetical killer at that time. Now balancing her instinct with her knowledge, she made a hypothetical guess that the serial killer would be male, number one, have a blue collar job, Number two, and number three, have sexual motivations that suggest a preference or erotic fixation. She arrived at that third hypothesis from the names and images of the missing men saying, I quote, Studying serial homicide, you learn to pick up on patterns. And these discernible patterns are profile where of brown bearded men. She did mention this profile and hypothesis to an officer of the Toronto Police, but nothing came of it. In fact, the police were still hesitant at that time to label the cases as serial killings. Police Chief Mark Saunders insisted that there was no evidence of a serial killer. On April 16, 2017, 44-year-old Salim Essen goes missing over Easter week- weekend. He is last seen near Yonge and Blue Streets. He's reported missing on April 30th by a friend. On June 26th of the same year, 49-year-old Andrew Kinsman was last seen in Cabbage Town a day after the Toronto Pride Parade. Kinsman was reported missing on June 29, 2017 by his neighbor. Now, the police did say that because Kinsman was reported missing within a 72-hour time frame and... Two crucial pieces of evidence was also unco- uncovered at that time. Now, without these evidence, um, chances are that MacArthur might be walking around a free man at this point. The evidence in question were surveillance video that showed Kinsman getting into MacArthur's van. And Kinsman's calendar also had an entry for Bruce on 26 at either 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. Detective Dave Dickinson manages to crack the case by cross-referencing an MTO list of vehicles based on the description of the van from surveillance video with owners by the name of Bruce. That produced five matches and MacArthur was one of them. The other four options were eliminated because none of them had the distinctive chrome siding feature on their van like the one Bruce's van had. On August 27, police established a new project, Project Prism, a task force to once again investigate the disappearances of Essen and Kinsman. By now, Bruce was firmly in the sights of the police. On September 6, 2017, Toronto Police Mobile Surveillance began tracking McCarthy's movements. He must have known that he was a suspect because on September 16, a month into Project Prism, He dumped the maroon Dodge Caravan at a scrapyard for cash. Surveillance footage shows someone believed to be MacArthur's relative dropping off the van around 10 a.m. and then being driven away in a white SUV. On October 3, 2017, police recovered the van and there they found traces of blood in the trunk and on the back seat. In November of that year, the traces of blood in the van was found to be that of Kinsman. On November 17, 2017, investigators used cadaver dogs to search behind 53 Mallory Crescent where MacArthur stored his landscaping equipment. Unfortunately, that search yielded no results. The police were, however, unrelenting and determined, and on December 5th, they obtained a general warrant to covertly enter MacArthur's apartment to clone data from any digital or storage device. On December 7th, They also conducted a search for items that may be directly linked to Kinsman, like his cell phone for instance. They made copies of the content of his computer and hard drives in his apartment. They were in there for more than an hour before they were alerted that Bruce was on his way home. Now during the search, DNA swabs of an orange stain on MacArthur's pillow and a seven to nine inch metal bar wrapped with tape was taken. They also found post-it notes with website names, accounts, and passwords. After the apartment search, they recovered over 100 photos of kinsmen from MacArthur's computer as far back as 2007. While this was happening, the police were still adamant that there was no evidence of a serial killer operating in the gay village. Further forensic analysis on January 17th of the following year led to the discovery of Essence DNA in the van. Through forensic analysis they also found photographs of the two men and other victims deceased on the digital device they had copied from MacArthur's apartment. Apparently he had tried to delete the photos he had taken of his victims. The photos showed that after the killing Their bodies were posed on a fur coat while leaving the murder weapon wrapped around their throats. Now at this point, investigators began remote tracking of MacArthur's movements, including monitoring his calls. He was put on 24-hour surveillance as police prepared warrants for his arrest. They were ready to take the serial killer down. On January 18th, a young male escort by the name of John was seen entering MacArthur's apartment building in Thorncliffe Park in Central East Toronto. The two had connected on the gay dating app Growler in the summer of 2017 and had been intimate before. However, strangely enough, this time MacArthur had actually asked the man if anyone knew he would be coming to see MacArthur. John said no, it was a secret. Now, although the police were still awaiting judicial authorization on all their warrants, they moved in. There they found John, bound, restrained to a bed, but unharmed. The man was freed and MacArthur was charged with two counts of first-degree murder for Essen and Kinsman, even though the bodies had had not been found yet. Forensic analysis later found and revealed that MacArthur had actually created an electronic folder of photos of John, just like he
1: did with the eight men he killed. After his arrest, MacArthur was questioned and he lied telling the police that he hadn't seen Kinsman since December 2016. When shown photos of Essen, he told police Essen looked like a man he met randomly and befriended in 2017. Now without a body, it becomes tricky to level murder charges against the suspect. When there is a body, the case is more likely to be definitive. Relying on MacArthur's substantial client list as a guide, the Toronto Police Service continued their search for the bodies of the victims. On January 21st to 26th, they then arrived at a small and neatly landscaped home on Mallory Crescent and met the owners of the property who told them that MacArthur would house it when they were out of town and had keys to the house. They also mentioned that they had seen him working with younger men of Middle Eastern descent. While they questioned the couple search warrant of Bruce's apartment, van and other addresses produced a duffel bag in his bedroom that had duct tape, rope, surgical gloves, zip ties, syringes, and a black bungee cord they also found personal belongings of the victims, including Essence's personal notebook, Navaratnam's bracelet, and Wick's beaded necklace. Plus, the coat he posed many of his victims in after killing was found in the hidden compartment of his 2017 van. It was in January 29, 2018, that the additional charges of first-degree murder was brought against Bruce McArthur in the deaths of Majid Cahad. Saroosh Mahmoodi, and Dean Lizawick. Police at this time eventually discovered the dismembered remains in planters at the Mallory Crescent House. These remains were later identified as Andrew Kinsman, Navarat Nam, Salim Ethan, Dean Lizawick, Abdul Basil Faisi, Krishna Kumar, Majid Kahan, and Saroosh Mahmoodi. Although the cause of death have not been announced, men who went on dates with him and survived allude to submissive role-play that had a tendency to become violent. He often stated to prospective hookups that he was looking to see how much you can take and wanted to push till you can't take anymore. In 2017, a man named Peter Skromo confirmed this and told CBC News that MacArthur had grabbed his head and twisted without warning. Another man, Sean Cribbin, told Global News that he agreed to take drugs at MacArthur's apartment and felt himself lose consciousness. He woke up to find MacArthur raping my throat while using his body weight to pin him to the bed. Following the arrest of MacArthur, he discovered that McArthur had taken photos of him, too. On January 29, 2019, McArthur pleads guilty to all eight counts of first-degree murder. The Crown lawyer said MacArthur murdered his victims while they were confined during sexual acts before dismembering them. Additionally, he kept souvenirs from the murder victims that include jewelry and notebooks. He got an automatic life sentence without a chance of parole until he is at least 91 years old. What do you think? Do you think the police dropped the ball on this one? Vijay Nathan, who is one of the most outspoken critics of how Toronto let its gay community down, insists that police only took the investigations seriously when Andrew Kinsman, one of two white victims, was reported missing. But he also points to racism within the gay community, comparing the massive local search mounted after the reported disappearance of the other white victim, Andrew Kinsman, with the slower and less cohesive response to the disappearance of the brown-skinned victims. Vijay Nathan also believes the families of some of the missing immigrant men failed to report their disappearance. Professor ju Young Lee, an expert in violent crime and serial homicide at the University of Toronto, says predators thrive on marginalised groups. Gay men, particularly gay refugees or other relatively new Canadians, fit into a population that includes prostitutes, Aboriginal women and immigrants.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Dark Crime Diaries. This was episode four, covering the sordid tale of Bruce MacArthur and how he terrorized the LGBT plus community of Church and Wellesley area in Toronto. It's important that the victims Skandaraj Navaratnam, Bashir Faizi, Majid Kaihan, Surush Mahmoudi, Kirush Nakumar Nakanaga Ratnam, Dean Lisa Wick, Salim Essen and Andrew Kinsman are remembered, and that we continue to look out for one another. As always, this is Dark Crime Diaries. Stay safe until next time.